0: I believe in God the Father, almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. What do you do For a living. This is a question um, I haven't been asked in a while. Most of us haven't had to answer that question in a while, because we haven't had any occasion to meet a stranger really, right? Much less talk to them. And so the people we're talking to know what we do for a living. No one's asking us, what do you do? Uh, But as the the world begins to, to open up more and more, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, but maybe on the way, um, we need to learn how to talk to each other again, right? And that means we might have to, you know, answer this question again. And this has always been a challenging question for me. Uh, in particular, right? Because, you know, if I say, oh, I'm a minister, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, well, that conjures up all kinds of strange images and assumptions. And I, sometimes I don't like those strange images and assumptions that come along with that, right? And so, man, how do I answer that question? And, um, you know, once I did hear a, a pastor who offered a really compelling job description, a really compelling answer to this question. I'm not sure if I'm going to use it, but I want to share it with you. All right, so he, he described, you know, one of those kinds of moments, you know, sitting next to someone uh, on the airplane, uh, chatting with her about where they were heading, right? And, and then the question comes, so what do you do? And he answers, well, I work for a global enterprise. She responded, Do you? And he answered, Yes, I do. We have outlets in nearly every country in the world. So she says, Have you? And he continues, Yes, we have. We have hospitals and hospices, we have homeless shelters, we do marriage work. We have orphanages. We have feeding programs, education programs. We do all sorts of justice and reconciliation work. Basically, we look after people from birth to death, and we help them live in between. You know, and he recalls this interaction he's having with this woman on the plane. He describes her response aloud and sort of amazed Wow. Wow. You know, so loud that the other people on the plane kind of look over. What's going on over there? Wow. She asks, what's it called? And he answers, it's called the church. Have you heard of it? Right? Now, I, I love this description because the church is, in many ways, a sort of global enterprise. I mean, we're here. In federal way, Washington, but the church exists all throughout the world. You know, and though each congregation is unique, we are all a part of God's kingdom-building project across the globe. And so this is something we're going to reflect on this morning as we consider these lines from the Apostles' Creed, the Holy Catholic Church, the Communion. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to John chapter 17. John 17 is is where we're headed this morning as we consider this. Uh, and, And if you're familiar with it, John 17, the whole chapter actually is a prayer. Right before Jesus is arrested, falsely tried, and crucified, he is praying right? And we read that Jesus is praying in all four Gospels, but John shows us this unique and lengthy prayer in which Jesus prays for his disciples and for all who will come to believe in the days ahead. So in many ways, this is a prayer for the church, Jesus prays for the church. So let's read a portion of this prayer together that shows us God's heart for the church. John 17 will begin in verse 6. Jesus prays, I have revealed you, the Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself so that they too may be truly so they may be one as we are one. I in them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for praying this prayer. Over us. God, I pray today that as we reflect on the words of Scripture, what it means to be the church, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we are reflecting on on the church, what Jesus prayed for about the church, and what the creed teaches us about the church. And one of the things we're going to have to grapple with this morning is the difference between what the church is and what the church ought to be. Because sometimes there can be quite a wide gulf between those two. Anyone who's been around the church for a while, amen, right? But my hope, as we consider what Jesus has prayed and what the creed teaches us, is that we will come to be able to confess the ways that that we have failed to truly be the church. Uh, That that we will be able to find healing from the ways that, that maybe we've at times been harmed. By the church, uh, But also, as we consider these things, I hope that we are able to catch a vision for what it means to truly be the church, so we can live into that prayer that Jesus has prayed over us. And so, as we reflect on church together this morning, I, I simply want to consider the phrase that is given to us in the Creed, right? The Holy Catholic Church church. It's three simple words. Uh, So let's consider each one of these, but we'll go in reverse. All right, we'll start with church, and then we'll build from there. All right, so church, right? What is the church? Very simply, the church is a group of people. It's a group of people. Just like we said about the Holy Spirit last week, the Spirit is not an it but but a who, a person, right? The same is true of the church. the church. The church is not an it, but a people. It's a who, not a what. And when we look at John 17, the question is not what did Jesus pray for, but who did Jesus pray for, right? In verse 6, Jesus prays for those who the Father gave him out of the world. And then down in verse 20, and also for those who will believe in me through their message, right? Jesus is not praying for an organization. He's not praying for an institution. He's praying for people. He is praying for his followers. This is what the church is. This is what church means. And and I'm so grateful. My mother taught me this from when I was very little, Right? When I was a kid, there was this little sort of rhythmic saying that we had with hand motions. Some of you might be familiar with it. I want to try it together, all right? The hand motions go like this. You take your hands together, fold your fingers into the middle, right? That's step one. Step two, take your pointer fingers, point them up. And then step three, you open up, and then you wiggle your fingers, all right? Some of you already know this, right? So the saying, as it was, is... This is the church, and this is the steeple, and open the doors, and there are the people. And that's cute and fun, but it's wrong. All right? My mom corrected this, and she taught me this version. This is the building, and it has a steeple. But open the doors, the church is the people. The church is the people. Right, this is what it means to be the church. The church is the people, right? And that's where that sort of opening story that you know that one pastor told about the church as a global enterprise actually starts to go wrong. Because there is a sense in which the church is this global thing, but it's not a company offering goods and services, it's a community of belonging and participation. The church is not an event to attend. It's not a service provider to get things from. The church is a community that we belong to and participate in, all right? And this is actually what the next line of the creed goes on to elaborate about, right? The church is a communion of saints, In other words, it's a group of people. Now, when we hear the phrase communion of saints, uh, we're likely to begin imagining some kind of holy hall of fame, right? With figures like St. Augustine, St. Francis, Mother Teresa, on and on we could go. Now, they are part of the communion of saints, yes. Uh, But that's not what the creed means when it says communion of saints, The church, the communion of saints, is not just a holy hall of fame of those who have gone before. Uh, This phrase includes them, but also refers to the common, everyday followers of Jesus, even those here and now today. You and me, right? Part of this communion of saints Uh, This is actually one of Paul's favorite ways of referring to communities of Jesus, to Jesus followers. It's how he addresses almost every single group of people he writes a letter to. Uh, Take a look. The beginning of Romans is addressed to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints. And then the beginning of 1 Corinthians, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. 2 Corinthians, to the church of God that is in Corinth, including all the saints throughout Achaia. Ephesians, to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Philippians, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi. And Colossians to the saints, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and Colossae. You see, over and over again, he addresses people as the saints, the holy ones, right? If he were writing a letter to us today, he would most likely address it to the saints in federal way, Washington, right? So this communion of saints is not just a bunch of holy people from the past. It's, it's us. It, it, it is stimming all throughout history, but, but we are part of this communion of saints. Now, now what about the word communion, right? Well, what does this mean, right? We usually use it to talk about, you know, the, the bread and the cup and that sort of thing, and that's not what it's talking about here. Uh, the word communion helps us think about uh, what it means to be a group of people. Really, it's the same as the word community, right? They're, they're the same word, and the roots are, are the words common and unity or common union, right? So a communion or a community is a group of people who have something in common. That's what it means to be a community, to to have a common union. And that's why this word community takes all kinds of different shapes and, and meanings, because there are all kinds of different things that people might have in common, right? It could be a place like a city or a neighborhood, talk about the community, right? Uh, It could be an activity, like a job or a hobby, you know? Talk about the hiking community, Uh, you know? Talk about your work community, something like that. And it can also be spiritual, the church, right? Uh, A community. Now, what are the things that the church has as our common union? What are the things that we have in common? One of my favorite descriptions in the Bible is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Uh, It describes, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and here it is, had everything in common common. Right? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this description. This is one of my favorite passages. What is their common unity? What do they have in common? Well, they share their time, they share their resources, they share their food, they share their homes. Uh, And and together, they are devoted to a number of of spiritual practices together, right? Uh, Teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. This is what it means to be the church, the communion of saints, not a, a formal institution of some kind, but a lively bunch of people who share meals and journey together through scripture and prayer. This is what it means to be the church, a group of people who are devoted to Jesus and share life together. That's what it means to be the church. But there's more, right? The church is not only a collection of individuals in a specific place. The church is bigger than that. And that's where this, this sort of global enterprise idea Kind of becomes helpful, a helpful metaphor. Not in the sense that the church is a multinational service provider, right? It's not that. But in the sense that the church, this community, transcends space and even time. And this is what is meant in the creed by the word Catholic. All right, now, you see, a lot of people start to get nervous when we come across the word Catholic. And the creed, because you know, it's easy to think, oh, you know, that just means the creeds are just a bunch of beliefs for the Catholic Church. But we need a little history lesson to understand it, because the, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, as a formal entity, didn't really uh, exist until the middle of the 11th century, whenever the, the Eastern and the Western Church split uh, and the Roman Catholic Church is is what became of the Western Church, uh, and, and that's when it formally came into existence. But this word Catholic becomes part of the creed at least three hundred years before that, uh, and, and so you know, this word Catholic is is the root is actually from Greek. It's the words kata. Which is a preposition that means uh, about or or through or throughout, and then the, the second half of the word is the word holos, which is, which means whole. All right, so the word catholic kataholos means throughout the whole, throughout the whole world, is is what they're getting at. This word catholic. It's not referring to a particular branch or denomination or tradition of the church. In fact, quite the opposite. It is declaring that the church transcends traditions, denominations, and branches. The church is bigger than that. And so, yes, there are local congregations that exist in specific places and times. Many of those local congregations are associated with different denominations or traditions. But the church, the the, the Catholic church, the church throughout the world, is not defined by those structures. It is universal. It goes beyond all of that stuff the church is, is is bigger than anything we can imagine and we see this in a couple of primary images used of the church throughout scripture one of them is the church as a body right the body of christ it's one of paul's favorite metaphors for describing the church you know the body of christ is made up of many different parts and now, when we're thinking about this, when we're reading these passages, we often think of ourselves, individuals, as a different parts. Uh, and, you know, all those different parts make up the congregation. But, you know, I think that we can expand this metaphor and actually think of the different parts as different congregations of people. And the body of Christ is the global, universal Catholic Church, with Jesus as the head over all. Right? The body of Christ made up of many parts, many congregations, many different people, but, but one body with Christ as the head. Another image uh, that helps us to think about this throughout scripture is the image of family. Right? It's another one of the primary ways that the church is referred to. Fellow Christians are constantly called brothers. And sisters. Right? And, and this kind of just makes sense. I mean, I have brothers, and we are all over the place. Right? I've got one brother over in Massachusetts. I've got another brother who lives down in California with his wife and son. And then I've got another brother who's somewhat transient. He works in Alaska during the summer and is kind of in the mainland, so to speak, the rest of the year doing different things. So we're all in different places. We're we're all over the map, literally. And we all live different lives, have different practices and things that we do, uh, have our own unique communities that we're a part of. But we're still all one family. We're still all brothers. And this is what it is to be the church, right? There's a congregation here in Federal Way. But there are other congregations in other cities, right? Sure, we are a, you know, in the tradition of the Church of Christ, but there are Methodist churches and Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, non-denominational churches, on and on we can go. We are in different places, have different communities, different uh, practices at times, but we are all one family. We're all one family. Right, And this is what it means to be the church. This is the primary thing that Jesus prays for in John 17. In verse 11, he prays that they may be one as we are one. Again, in verse 21, he prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. He prays for this unity In verse 23, he says, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We are known to belong to him because of the way that we love each other, because of the way that we are one. You know, my life has has given me a kind of unique perspective on this. Uh, My parents divorced before I was even a year old. And so I I grew up my entire life between two different homes. And for me, that meant between two different churches as well. And we'd alternate weekends. And so one week, I'd be going to church at this place, and another week, I'd be going to church over here. And this meant that from the very beginning, I learned there's not just one way to do church. There are a lot of different ways to do church right? There's not just one way to understand the Bible, right? You know, I grew up between these two different churches, and both of them were deeply devoted to the teachings of Scripture, but they often came to different conclusions as they read it. And growing up between these two places helped me to learn to honor those differences and to see that Jesus is the head of over, over both, right? This church does something this way and they kind of read it like this. This church does it that way and read it like that. But Jesus is Lord over all. And, and so, you know, I, I grew up with this. This is really important for us to understand that there are so many varieties, so many uh, differences within the church, but we're all one family, Many different congregations, many different denominations, but there's only one church. There's only one church. This is what it means when the Creed uses this word, Catholic, throughout the world, universal, one church. So church is a community of people following Jesus together, right? And and, and Catholic Church means this community of people stretches throughout the entire world uh, in all kinds of of different cultures and traditions and, and, and ways of living. And so it stretches beyond tradition, beyond denomination. So what about holy, holy Catholic Church? Well, this is also something that Jesus prays for. If you look at verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. See, the word translated sanctify, it's the same Greek word that's translated holy. And so what Jesus says is, make them holy. Sanctify them, make them holy. What does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to be made holy? I want to remind you again of what I said last week. This third section of the creed is not just a hodgepodge of various different beliefs kind of crammed in at the end. All of these things that we're talking about these last few weeks fall under the heading, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And this is emphasized by the repetition of the word holy, right? We believe in the Holy Spirit who creates the Holy Church. And so to be sanctified, to be made holy, means what we talked about last week. It means being a people who walk with the Spirit. People who are guided By the Spirit. Now I want to expand our understanding of what it means to be holy as we think about this, because most of the time when we think about holiness, we think that it means moral perfection. Moral perfection, right? Holiness is about not sinning, it's about praying a lot, it's about doing good things. And yes, there is a sense in which that's part of what it means to be holy. But but holiness Is more than that. The word holiness or sanctified literally means to be set apart. To be set apart, right? For example, uh, we have a lot of pens at our house, uh, and you know, they're kind of scattered all over the place, but there's kind of a drawer where you can usually dig and find pens or a marker or something like that. But there's a particular pen that I like, all right? And I don't keep it in that drawer. I have that pen set apart so I can write with it. Right? I I keep it on my desk. Uh, This pen is set apart for me to write with. That pen is holy. That pen is sanctified. In this sense, the word holy isn't referring to moral perfection. Rather, It refers to missional purpose. Holiness has to do with the purpose that God has set us apart for. And this is what Jesus prays. Look at verse 17 again. He says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And the very next verse, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So to be sanctified, to be holy, means we are set apart to be sent. We are set apart to be sent. We are the pen that God writes with. Salvation is not about being chosen to receive an award. It's about being chosen to get to work. Right? We are chosen To join God and what He is doing to care for and restore the world. And this is always what God has done. God has always chosen people to partner with. Right from the very beginning, He creates humanity, male and female, sets them in the garden to care for it, to tend to it. Right? And then from there, you know, he calls Abraham and and Sarah and says, I'm going to bless you so that every nation might be blessed, so that all people might be blessed. He chooses a few people to get to work, right? He calls Moses and the nation of Israel, says, you are my people and I am your God. He chooses them not to give them a, a sticker or an award, but to say, hey, you are my people in the world to transform the world. He chooses priests and prophets to speak through, bring life into the world, and he chooses us, the church. We are the people that God chooses to live and move and work through in the world. There's a really big theological word that's used for this. It's the word election. We can go all kinds of rabbit trails with that, but it just simply means this. We are chosen to join God in the work of his kingdom. We are the pen he has set apart to write with. We are calling others to join in to this. So to be holy is to walk with the Spirit in this holy work of God as he cares for and restores the world. So we are the holy Catholic Church, communion of saints. As we close, I just want to ask a few questions because I said we need to grapple with the reality or the, the disparity between what the church is and what the church ought to be, right? Because we are are hearing Jesus pray and reflecting on the creed. This is the church as it ought to be. But so often we have fallen short of that. And so I just want to ask some questions, right? The church is a group of people meant to live and share life together. What are the ways that we have at times depersonalized the church. We have made it a formal organization or institution instead of a people to belong to and participate with. How often have we treated church like an event to attend instead of a people to belong to? What does this call us to? How can we live in this lively relationship of personal community? The church also, as we've talked about, is Catholic. It's meant to be universal, this one people. I pray that they may be one as we are one. How often have we gone around dividing things instead of uniting? Have we pointed fingers instead of linking arms? What are the ways that we can listen to people who might come from different traditions, different denominations, different places, and join each other? Learn from each other and say, hey, we're a little different, but we're family. We're a little different, but hey, we're different parts of the body, and Jesus is the head. How can we live in to that? And then finally, we've talked about the church is holy. What are the times that, that we have not been walking with the Spirit? Maybe we're just following religious rules, checking off boxes. But we're not really walking with the Spirit To be holy is to partner with God, to be set apart, to join God in the work he's doing in the world. So may we not be inactive as a church, but seek to join him in what he's doing, an active people ready to love and serve and care. This is my prayer for us, that we would continue to live into this reality Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints. May we pray that God would make us one, just as he is one, that the world might know his love. Amen.